Welcome to episode six of Mitts Off. We are joined today by Duck Center, Ryan Strom. What a charismatic, good, down-to-earth guy. We're gonna talk about some of the pressures about being a top pick in the NHL and his journey to being a vet of over 700 NHL games. Uh, Mitts Off is powered by Sports Interaction, our exclusive betting partner. Get in the action all summer long. Download the app to get started, 19 plus. And as always, please play responsibly. Here we are, joined by Mississauga native, former fifth overall New York Islanders draft pick, current Anaheim Ducks forward, 703 NHL games to his name. That's a lot. Let's welcome Will Ryan Strom to the podcast. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Does that sound crazy to hear to you, 703 games? I feel like, I mean, I've known you for a bit now, but I feel like you've been through a lot in your career, especially at the start. So does that sound crazy to hear 700 plus already at this age totally I mean I don't feel 30 years old even though I am but uh it goes by so fast I mean I'm sure every guy would sit here and say the same thing but uh you know you start to just go year after year and I've been relatively healthy which is nice and um yeah 700 games is a lot I think you know 10 years ago if I would have said you play 700 games you'd be really happy with it so now you just got to keep pushing to the end and uh you know try to squeeze every year you can out so um I still feel like I got a lot of good hockey left in me and um, I've definitely learned a lot along the way how to take care of yourself and how to get to that, you know, a thousand games is obviously a big goal of mine. And that's a, you know, a benchmark that I hope I can obtain. And, um, you know, I think you, as a player, you need something to work towards and to try to stay healthy and keep getting better. And, you know, here we are. And I'm sure you had a lot of that in your mind after an extensive career and you sign in Anaheim. I mean, how big of an adjustment was that for you? You're kind of a vet now, but you go through that UFA process, move to the Western Conference. You know, how big of an adjustment was that for you? Yeah, it was crazy. Like, uh, I think uh, I was one of the oldest and most experienced players to finally become a free agent, like just based on my um, draft status and my birthday and like my games played and everything. So I was uh, 29, finally got to free agency. and uh, Oh, that was your first crack at UFA? For, first time at UFA. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had one year for my last contract that I, yeah. I signed for. But yeah, it, was, it, was, it took a while to get there. And um, it was quite an experience. I think, um, you know, everyone has a different outcome, obviously. I think mine was a little bit more stressful than I thought. But, uh, you know, looking back on it, I'm really glad I got to go through it, I think. You know, mostly because one day I hope to stay in hockey in whatever capacity. I think now I can relate to players that do have to go through it, whether you're on the management side or you're trying to help other players out. I think, you know, that's a you know very important thing that you can say, you know, I've been through this. I know the challenges it, it has. And, you know, obviously it's a great outcome, but, you know, it's definitely stressful when you have no idea where you're going to live. And you got two kids and a family to support. It's uh, and you got everyone texting you, asking yeah. what's going to happen. It's uh, it's it's a busy day. And I know you say it's stressful, but. It shouldn't be, right? You, uh, I'm sure you had a couple options. And I mean, I think the obvious answer as to why you would sign there is you got good money, you got good term, and it's a great place to live. But I'm sure you had a couple options on the table. Uh, you want to give us some insight onto your decision-making process and what you were looking at? Well, it's tough because uh, with the way it's kind of shaped out now, you kind of get, uh, you don't really have that window anymore. They, they took that out. So you're only allowed to kind of talk to teams that have interest. You're not really allowed to have anything in writing. And then things start to come out the night before, like you get the leak of who's going where or whatever. And, you know, for me, there was a few sentiment on the market that year. And, um, Malkin was one of them that went back to Pittsburgh. And then, um, Andrew Kopp was one of my teammates in New York and he went to Detroit and then found out that Trocheck was going to the Rangers. So then as things kind of fell into place, the same teams that are seemed to be talking to every type of guy just kind of weasel, uh, fizzled itself out. And Anaheim was the team there. And, we just kind of made it work. So, you know, it's a great fit, I think. Um, a little bit different than what I used to in New York, but 
Um, I think my experience and, you know, my past has been one of the reasons why they wanted to sign me and just to, you know, help kind of right the ship a little bit there and, um, try to turn the corner and get things back rolling. And, um, I've seen, you know, a lot of my career, I feel like some good, some bad. And, um, I feel like I'm a you know, good guy to have around for some of the, some of the hard times that we went through last year. Any Canadian teams in the mix? I got to ask you. No, nope. I was thinking Vancouver, someone that was thin down the middle. I was Winnipeg wondering a little bit was a little bit talking very slightly. Um, but it didn't really get too far. I mean, um, well, I don't know, man, Winnipeg or Anaheim. (laughs) Yeah. My wife was pretty easy to sell on that one, but, uh, no, I think, um, you know, you, you kind of leave it up to your agent. I know everyone says that, but, um, you kind of just get relayed the information that your agent wants to relay to you. So there may be things that I don't know or things that aren't true that, you know, he kind of tells me like, um, I only know what he's telling me. Right. So I don't know what was really going on, but it's a, it's a crazy process. And, you know, once it boils down to it, it's, you know, it's a lot of money on the table. I think that's the biggest thing that I was realizing. And as much as I say it was stressful, I kept telling myself and, you know, it's, this is life changing money for my family. And, um, it's, it was a great day. So, and why the ducks? I know there's multiple reasons we talked about, but did you look at their core and their roster and think of it from a hockey perspective as well? Like, Hey, this team's kind of on the up and up here. I know rebuilding a little bit, but did that factor into it? Yeah, for sure. And I think that um, when I got to the Rangers, it was kind of a total rebuild. And um, for my four years there, kind of where we got to is hopefully how I see Anaheim going. I think I got there when they kind of released the letter. They had the fans and they started trading yeah. everyone as a fire sale. And I kind of came in as a guy with no expectations and tried to like build it up slowly. And, you know, I became part of the leadership role and um, leadership group, I should say. And, you know, that was a huge... Uh, honor for me and it was it was very fulfilling and um you know hopefully i can see the same things happening in anaheim so can you give me some insight on breaking into the league those first couple years yeah it's definitely tough it's um i actually was just talking to a young guy at the rink and his dad uh just before i came here i said the biggest thing that i regret is just comparing myself to other guys in my draft because um you know once the draft day is done it doesn't really matter at all like it literally is just a number on a page and um, it's all about what you do from here on out. And I feel like I was always a little bit worried about or comparing myself to the other guys in my draft. And, you know, some guys break in and play sooner, but they've already, they're already out of the league. Um, I think it's very important that young guys realize that everyone takes a different path. And for me, I went to the minors. Um, I think I was the last guy in the top 10 to play in the NHL. And at the time you're like putting a ton of pressure on yourself, but it really doesn't matter that much. It's all about your development and just staying with the program. And um, when I went down to the minors, I had a really good start. And um, I think I actually built up a little confidence that I could play in pro hockey than I was used to it. And then um, in the NHL, it's a totally different beast. And, um, you know, I've had, had some good moments, had some bad moments. And um, it's really important that you just stay confident. That was the biggest thing I learned. I, anytime you lose confidence, especially as a young player, um, it's so easy to lose your game, I think. Um, Nowadays, there's so much pressure on guys with um, the media, the social media, and just even even now, like I watch these kids, and um, you know, I could say this now. I don't I don't have any like Instagram or anything, and I I'll look over at their phone, and they're watching like highlights or they're watching like prospect rankings. I see them scrolling, and I'm like, they're always comparing themselves to other people, and I feel like it's really important as a professional athlete that you just worry about yourself and your trajectory. I mean, there's guys now like Brandon Hagel just signed. I don't, I don't even, I think he was an overager in junior maybe like it's like everyone's a totally different situation. So I think that's one of the biggest things and the hardest lessons I learned was not to compare myself to anybody else and just try to ride those waves. I think, um, 
you know, anytime you take your foot off the gas, even just a little bit in the NHL, it's going to catch up to you. And, um, at every other level of your life, you're always playing with kids that are the same age as you, or you're just getting older, like the OHL or whatever level. But in the NHL, it's just a constant battle every year to get better and better. It doesn't matter really who you are. And I think, um, that was that and the confidence thing were the two biggest things I learned. And, you know, there were some hard lessons, but looking back on it, I really wouldn't change too much. I think, um, going from, you know, some highs down to some lows and back to some highs. I think you really learn a lot about yourself. And, um, some of the proudest things I am are the way I handle those moments and I've able to, you know, kind of find my way and, uh, battle through that adversity. Well, I saw a great quote you had about Capocaco, um, and how you're more equipped to handle the ups and downs now at, at the age you're at and kind of what he was going through, Lafreniere is going through, cause it's really not easy. Um, I can't imagine that the social media, you know, plays a positive part in it too. And I'm glad you brought that up because I had a guy in Edmonton, his sticks actually on the wall right now. He used to search his name on Twitter after every game and just read, he'd read what people said about him and it took him a couple months to realize like, this isn't the way, but it's become so prominent for us to be on our phones, searching, reading, watching highlights, watching other guys. Uh, did you find that to be a bit of a challenge? And, and can you kind of speak on the social media aspect in today's game? Yeah, anyone that knows me is going to be kind of laughing if they hear this because <laughs> I try to advocate as much as I can now. And the, actually, the Rangers have a bunch of guys that kind of followed in my footsteps. I just deleted uh, everything off my phone. So I didn't have anything during the season. Um, no Instagram, no Twitter. I, I have my Twitter on like my iPad once in a while when I'm you know looking up news when I'm bored at night. But um, the hockey stuff and kind of reading about yourself was completely shut off for me. I think for me, that was just the best way to handle it. Um, I feel like if you were able just to focus on what you need to do every day um, and just kind of worry about that, it was the best way forward for me. And it's really, it's really not an easy thing to do because it's everywhere. And I know people are so connected by social media and stuff like that, which is great. That's what it's all about, whether it's family members or whatever. But for me, I just, I found myself that it wasn't doing any good for me. And, um, you know, I, ever since then, I just feel like it's just been really healthy for me and, and, uh, my development. And I still feel like I am developing. I'm trying to become the best player I can be. And so trying to grind this thing out. And, um, for me, just to try to focus all my energy on what's important. And I realized that reading that stuff isn't important. And, um, you know, I, I get informed about the things I need to be informed about and the rest, I just leave it out. And, um, it, it's not an easy thing, like I said, but it's something that, uh, I really think young players, especially in big markets, uh, it could be really beneficial for guys just to cut it out. Did you have, um, I don't want to necessarily call it a low point, but did you have a time where you were real down in the island and, and something that you really had to work through and, you know, how, how explain to me how you got out of that? Yeah. So after I had, I had a 50 point year, my first full year in the NHL I had a good year. And then the next year I had a couple, I started, I think eight or nine games at the beginning of the year, they got sent down to Bridgeport and I'd played like, you know, 115 straight games in the NHL or something, I had some good success. And to be back in the minors was definitely the lowest point of my career, maybe my life really too. Just, you know, all of a sudden when something you take for granted, you realize how quickly it could be taken away from you and you're back in the minors and, uh, just trying to get back to that level. I mean, um, it was, it was tough. I think you lean on family members and you lean on, um, you know, anyone that can support you through those times. I think I remember leaning on some of the guys with the Islanders were really great and reaching out to me and, uh, you know, just helping me out a little bit just to, you know, get back and get confident again and get playing good hockey. And, um, but, but through it all, I think the biggest thing I realized was the only thing that really helped me was just working on my game. I think going home in the summer, changing it up, um, 
getting uncomfortable, trying to do something I'd never done before, switching your trainer, uh, switching what you're doing on the ice. I think a lot of times guys do something and they get, they get so used to it and they get so good at it. They, they, they just master it. And I think that, um, part of getting better is to be uncomfortable. And for me, it was finding new avenues to do that. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I did. And that's kind of seemed to what, what worked for me. Did you feel the pressure as a top pick? Like, did you, I don't know, externally or on yourself? Um, more so on myself, I think. Um, yeah. And to be honest, like, um, as much as, you know, the pressure's on myself and the blame's on myself, I think, I think there's obviously decisions in an organization too, that, you know, it goes hand in hand. I think yeah. like, for example, I was drafted as a centerman and I basically played wing my first like four or five years. It's like, it's not the easiest adjustment when you don't really <laughs> yeah. know how to play a position. So I played a, a position for 20 years and then you go in and you, you play something different. So like, there's lots of things that you can point, you can blame, but it's not even worth your time and energy for me. I just kind of refocused on myself. Um, I, you know, got back to trying to work as much as I can, whether it's something as silly as shooting pucks or as, you know, like I said, switching my trainer, switching what I do on the ice, just trying to change anything just to try to like tap into something that I hadn't got to before. And, um, I think that's kind of what worked for me. And, um, it's also a great mindset just to put your head down and work and, uh, try to get better every day. And that's kind of, it's a very simple thing, but it seems to work and it, it, it did for me. You end up getting traded out of there a couple of years later, right? Um, was that a shock to you? I always love asking guys about getting traded because some guys handle it completely differently. What was your reaction to the trade? I think at first, um, I wasn't surprised. Um, I think that something had to give, I think any player looks at the team and where they are in their like, you know, lifespan of their team where they're pushing for a championship or they're kind of rebuilding. Yeah. Everyone knows where they're at. And I think our team was ready to take the jump and, um, they traded me for Eberly, who's a great player and went in there, had some good years. And, um, you know, something had to give with one of the young guys, they wanted to, you know, add a piece to try to push and, uh, make, take that next step. So I wasn't really surprised at all. Yeah. You can't take it too personally sometimes, I guess. Right. No, I was excited for a new challenge. I, uh, you know, unfortunately I was only in Edmonton for a year and a quarter, but, um, I, I really loved it in Edmonton. I think it's a great place to play. I think, you know, unfortunately the team kind of wasn't where it is now. And I wish it was, cause I feel like I really could have been a part just of that getting there, hey? just kind of getting there. And we were kind of like still, they were still trying to get their, get their, uh, feet under them. And so was I yeah. in my career. And, um, but you know, and then getting traded again, I was like, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> and going back to New York. And then you're like, you know, from then on, it's something just seemed to click, but it's funny. There's no right or wrong way to do it for a team or for a player. Everyone's got a different trajectory, like we yeah. said, and you know, it works out differently for everyone. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you another Edmonton question just because I'm former alumni too. And I know you said, you know, they, they just weren't there yet. But I look back, I think you had a chance to play with Connor in an exhibition game or something like that. But how did that work, all work out at the start, trying to find your footing with the oil and just kind of being there as a, a new guy? Totally. I mean, it was great. There was a great locker room. There's always been a really good culture there. I think that Connor and Leon and Darnell and those guys did a really good job of, you know, leading that team. And, um, and you see where they've got to now they're, you know, every year they've got a chance to win the cup really. And, um, you know, for me, it was just a matter of, I was probably in the stage of my career where I was trying to get some traction as well. And they were trying to do it as a team. And, um, like, and like I said before, you know, like you talk about the lifeline or where the team's at, obviously, Shirelli was the GM and they're trying to make moves and he's probably knows his seat's a little bit hot. And yeah. so, I mean, you get traded again and that's just the way it goes. But, um, no, I wish it would have worked out because, uh, you know, I really enjoyed playing in Canada and, um, you know, being an oiler and getting to play with probably the best player in the world. And, you know, there's so many, there were so many positives to it, but, um, you know, that's the hand we're dealt with. And, um, I, 
learned very young in this in this business. I mean, I got traded in junior hockey as a 16 year old. So I mean, I'm really not that not that <laughs> yeah. the trades are just normal, yeah. I guess. So um, that's just the way it goes. And um, I feel like I've always been able to handle everything in stride. I think um, I've got a good ability to go into a dressing room and you know meet guys and you know it's just but hockey guys are all great. Yeah. And I feel like that's not too hard for me. And that might might have made some of these adjustments a little easier looking back on them. By this point, I mean, I'll get I'll get to the second trade, but I mean, you do might, I don't want to use the word suitcase. It's, it's the worst, but were you feeling like, you know, people saying from the outside, oh, this kid's a bust, this kid's whatever, he's traded again now. Were you here? Do you, did you hear any of that or like, you know, I mean, you, you by s- that point? Yeah, you see it, you hear it. But I mean, at the same time, like, it's funny because you get so in life and in sports, you get so as a family and as an individual, you get so focused on your own career and you get so worried about every game, every shift, every contract, whatever it may be. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, there's so many guys that have fallen off the map. I mean, I, I, I was cleaning up my basement the other night and I was going through old hockey pictures and team photos. And I'm looking at like my under 17 team Ontario. There's like three guys playing in the NHL oh. still. And that's it. And that was a good team. There was good players. And I'm like, you always have to, you know, look at the other side of the coin. I think as hockey players and, you know, the media, you're always getting compared to what you're not. But, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of guys that haven't even gotten as far as you have. And I think when times are bad or times have been down, you do have to kind of remind yourself that you have made it further than 99.9% of the kids you even grow up playing with. And I think, you know, sometimes you can lean back on that. But, you know, like I said, it's human nature to compare yourself to the best and you always want yeah. to be the best. And, you know, you look at your draft class and you look at the points and contracts and you always compare yourself. And that's just what, you know, good athletes do. But yeah. um, it is important to remind yourself sometimes of, you know, how quickly it can go the other way. And um, I have been very fortunate, but there's definitely been times where you do hear that noise and it starts to creep in for sure. Exactly. Give yourself some credit every once in a while. Once hey, in a while, I mean, to be too hard someone's got to do it. <laughs> I know. Man, I feel like when you got to New York, that was when you really started finding your game started buzzing a couple of years of really good, confident hockey. I mean, what kind of, what happened there for you? Was, was it a mix of, you know, finding the right guys to play with or the situation? Um, I, I just feel like things started to go really well for you in the, uh, when you got there. Yeah, it was, it was a combination of everything really. I think um, one of the biggest things I think I did is I actually hired Adam Oates and that was the year I got traded to the Rangers. And um, you know, I'm in Edmonton and I don't really have a great start. I'm playing good hockey. Just nothing's really going well, but I can't score. can't get any points. You're no confidence. And then go to the Rangers. And I wasn't really playing that much at first. I was playing on the fourth line and kind of just like, they were kind of, what do we have in this guy? Like we, they actually, um, called Doug Waite, who's an old coach of mine who gave them an endorsement, said, I'm a good guy, a good kid, whatever, give me a chance. And, you know, thankful to him that it worked out. And I, you know, I appreciate that, but, um, you know, all of a sudden, I think the trade deadline happens with the Rangers and they're kind of on a fire sale and they trade Kevin Hayes, Matt Zuccarello, all these guys. And all of a sudden there's a bit of an opening and, you know, to get on the power play a little more and do this, do that. And they were kind of in the situation where it was like, this is what we got. Everyone here is going to get a chance to play to see what you got. And I ended up scoring like 18 goals, the final like 50 games or something, had a good finish. And then you know, they said in the summer, they said, let's make this a good story. Let's not make this a good 50 game run. Let's come back next year and keep it going. And I did. And I came back and uh, we signed Panarin that summer. And uh, I actually didn't play with them for the first like three or four games. And then maybe game like five or six, they put us together. And I remember from like the first game, it was like, he scored like a sick goal in the first period. I was, it was unassisted, but I'm like, I'm on the ice for it. I'm just trying to get anything I can get. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we got on the board later together. And then after that, it was just like, it seemed like 
it seemed like I was playing hockey with a guy that I played like minor hockey with, junior hockey with. Like for some reason, we just connected on a different different level where we knew each other were going to be. And it was you know, a lot of credit to, like I said, Adam Oates for kind of opening up that those areas of my mind that I never really like thought of. And I think a combination of playing with Panarin and playing in a market like New York and kind of just, I came in with no expectations and everything was open for me and I kind of just took it all and ran with it. And I think it was just a perfect storm and um, it was a great four years. And, um, you know, looking back on it, it really couldn't have gone any smoother. It's so funny you said you just clicked and connected like that because one of the things that I think is so interesting about coaches and putting lineups together is you have, especially in the NHL nowadays, all 12 forwards, the core of every team is really good, right? And it's about finding combinations, finding matchups. And sometimes it just happens like that, right? Where two guys will get together and you're like, wow, it's like these guys have been playing beside each other for their whole life. But for you, is there like an ideal prototype of a guy that you like to play with? Or is it more like the way the guy plays. Do you know what I mean? Like, is, yeah. it, is there a certain idea in your head of someone you like to play with? It's a good question. I think that, um, I, I think I like to play with a guy that likes to hold on to the puck. I think that, um, I think that maybe I didn't know this my whole life, but in the NHL, it seems like I've been the best with guys that can uh, control the puck and make plays. And I'm just able to get open and make a small area pass or like, I feel like I'm good playing with guys that um, just need some relief for some stress every once in a while. And I'm able to be in the right spot at the right time. I don't think I'm a guy that needs to have their puck on their stick the whole game, but I'm a guy that, um, you know, can be in the right areas, the right spot, make the simple, easy play and just find the guy with the pass. A lot of times these great players, like even playing with Trevor Zegers this year, like all he wants is like that six foot pass that puts him in space and the, the, and he just, and he can go from there. Just a little area pass? Just the area pass or... I think that's what was good with me and Panarin was that he was so good at finding the open guy that if I could either get open or just relieve the pressure for him for that five, six seconds, I think it works. So, um, you know, obviously it's, it's hard to say like who you want to play with. Obviously, like you don't really yeah. get that decision very much in hockey unless you're one of the top players. But it seems like for me, I think the guys that like to hold on to the puck. I like to play with because um, they're puck possession guys. And the more you have the puck, the more chance you are to score. So can you tell us about Panarin behind the scenes? You were going telling us a bit uh, when, when you got here about it. It's so interesting, his backstory and, and what he uh, what he's overcome and, and uh, came through. Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger things, too. You talk about a guy that you want to play with. I think that any successful team, any successful line, I think you could you know, peel back the layers and you can really see a real human connection. I think any team that wins the cup, you just watch their interviews. They're talking about how great the group of guys were and all that stuff. And I think the same goes for line mates. I think when you really care about someone on and off the ice, you really build that connection with guys. And that's something I learned in my career too. It's not just a, it's not just a number or a guy, it's a, it's a person. And you want to try to you know be the best version of yourself for them to be the best for the team. And, you know, he was just such a great role model for me. He, um, he lives a real simple life. He's a down-to-earth guy. He's super humble, very modest. Um, comes from such a such a crazy background. I think he, I think he told me he went to like live in an orphanage or like a, a a sports school that was like similar to an orphanage with like ten kids, like five hours away from his hometown when he was like under ten years old. Like just crazy stories and just to see where he came from and to be how good he is and how hard he works on his game was just so so awesome for me to be a part of it and. Um, and on the human level, we would just drive to the rink together and we would just talk, talk about life, talk about hockey, talk about how to be better. Or some days we didn't even talk about hockey, just about whatever, you know what I mean? Life, I think, man. I think when you have connections with people like that, whether it's sports or life, I think you just have a, a great connection with them. And I think that's what we had. And, um, I think 
one of the things he's taught me, actually all the great players I've been able to play with, Tavares, McDavid, I think anytime you have a connection with those guys and, you know, they're just people and they're, they're hardworking. I think you can learn so much from them and you can, you can just be a sponge and just soak up all that information. And, um, yeah, I've been really lucky to play with those guys. And, um, I feel like, you know, looking back on it, I, I, it's almost crazy to say that I've been able to play with guys like that. And the best thing about all those guys is how, how good people they are and good teammates they are. And, um, I feel so feel, sorry. Feel so lucky. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that you know people overlook sometimes too. Is there's a player underneath all that equipment behind totally. that mask, mask, right? And and everyone's lives are so complex, and guys have been through different things and overcome so much adversity. So it's tough hearing all the negative stuff when you know all the positive stuff about a player. Totally like that, right, and especially in like you know Edmonton and New York are tough markets and sometimes you see this stuff written about guys and you're like, you have no idea what this guy's going through, whether it's his family life or whatever. And I think that's what, like I said, I think that's what good teams truly have. They got a a support system that that support system becomes the strongest thing for the group, no matter what's going on the outside noise. And I think that, you know, a team like New York, that's what we had. And I think that's why we probably went a little further than we should have. You mentioned working with Adam Oates and that kind of being a turning point for you. Can you talk about finding that balance between, you know, playing with structure, but also, you know, being creative and being the player that you are and that I think a lot of people know that you are. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. And it's a question that I kind of asked myself. I think what I kind of found as a young player was when I had the puck, I was able to do good things with it. I was able to make the right play, find the open guy, like things I've done my whole life. I think the hardest transition to the NHL was those touches and those chances to get the puck just shrink because it's a, it's, it's a harder league. I think that um, you know, not every guy that comes in. Yes, I was a skill guy. Yes, I was a creative guy. But I was like, no, not everyone's given to be a first power play half wall guy. So when you're, you know, when you grow your game in junior that you have the puck, say you touch the puck in junior 45 times a game and you're on the first power play, you have the puck the whole night. Oh, yeah. You're confident. But when you're in the NHL and you're maybe not on the first power play or maybe you're in the bumper or maybe you're like net front or something, like you may touch the puck like 15 times a game, say. So for me, the biggest thing that I thought Adam Oates has done for me was, A, was how to get open more, where to go on the ice to get the puck more, to be in better spots with it, and what to do with it. I think that, you know, I think skill and creativity when you're in junior hockey is totally different. A lot of times you're, a lot of times you're way smarter than the other guys. You're just better than them. I think when you get to the NHL, it's, okay, how do I continue to grow my skill set to, like I said, get the puck more, but when I have it, make a little play, be confident with the puck, like get the puck in a better spot to make the next play. And I think that's what Adam Oates does so well. I think it's hard to define what he does, but I think if a lot of the stuff we work on is very, very simple puck stuff, but it's, it makes the game so much easier for yourself. If the puck's getting rimmed around the wall and you're a 24 year old player and you've never played the wing before, if you've practiced in the summer, all summer, getting the puck off the wall in your backhand, spinning out, being in a good spot to make that next play 400 backhand, like that just seems seamless when you're watching it, but that's a skill that guys have. I've never been so stressed in my life. Puck coming around the wall, D coming down, you got to make the play to the center with speed. Like that's something you practice. Totally. But tiny little habits. Totally. Uh, but if you, you know, you, you get that same play, whether it's Ozone or D zone, and you hit uh, a John Tavares, a McDavid, a Panarin, a Fox, or whoever you're playing with, like that could be an assist like easily. That's what, that's what those guys need from you. That's the play they need. And I think that. For me, I was kind of figuring out like, what do I need to do here? Like, what like what am I trying to do? Like, I got to get the puck in these guys' hands. How do I make the game easier for myself? And I think that's what he did a great job of, or he does a great job of, 
um, is unlocking that in players. And me specifically, I feel like I just looked at some of the guys that he had worked with, like Mark Shifley, and I feel like I kind of play the same type of way, so to speak. And I'm like, he's having so much success using this guy. Like, I, I got to try it too. And it seemed to work for me. So. Shife was your draft year too, right? Yeah. Using that top 10? Yeah. So again, you compare yourself to guys. And, exactly. There you go. And he, and he was successful. And I just think that, you know, it becomes almost like putting your ego aside. Like, how can I learn from this guy? Like, I want to be a good player too. I want to, I want to have success. Like, what are these guys doing to get better? And, you know, when I'm trying to figure it all out, I'm like, okay, let's, let me try to hire this guy. Like what's that takes a certain amount of removal of your ego to look at someone else and be like, maybe well, I can learn from this. Well, guy yeah, right totally. Now. And I think that, you know, Adam Oates was like a, I think he had like 1300 points or something like that. Yeah. He's a hall of famer. It's like, there could be worse guys to learn yeah. from, you know what I mean? So I think, I think, you know, I was lucky to kind of stumble upon that path and, and seek that help out. But I think, you know, every player is different and, you know, it may be, a different tool for a different guy. But for me, I think that it was more like my brain and finding out like how to get the puck more, because I think once I always had it, I was able to make the play. It's just a matter of getting it done. I got to ask you a super hockey question. You mentioned the bumper on the power play. I feel like that's such a new school power play way of thinking, having the guy in the middle, yeah. kind of that soft area for help around the totally. ice. Do you like that? Do you like playing there? I like playing there. My only issue is, is I feel like I don't have the best shot from in there. I feel like it's a really hard skill. There's very few guys that like are able TJ to. TJ like, Oshie, Bergeron. Yeah. I think that, so when, like my most success in New York, I was on the half one. Zabinijad was actually playing in the bumper. 2011 and he, draft. And he has such a, such a bump like obviously a lot of people see the big wind up the back scratcher but he's able to shoot the puck like in his feet in so many different ways that I found it so easy just to feed them in there to him and he was able to hammer them so I try to work on that now because I've been in there a little bit more often lately but it's uh it's it's a tool I think it takes a really skilled player and a selfless player to be in that position and I think all the best power plays have a good bumper guy that power play was a sick joke in New York now that I think about yeah. it it was pretty, pretty it, loaded it, up there, there were right? some good units back then yeah we um we had some good skill and um, had some great success. And just to be, to, for me to be on the ice with that caliber of player was just yeah. so special. And um, no matter where I was, I was trying to make the most of it. But again, we talk about skill and we talk about like team teammates, like everyone worked together to make it work. And everyone was very selfless in their approach to the power play. And, you know, same as like a line mate or a power player or a team, that's the way you have to be successful. You've had the chance to play in some pretty special rivalry games now. Uh, Battle of Hudson. Battle of Alberta. Um, is the Isles and the Rangers, is that a rivalry game? Like, is there some animosity oh, yeah. there? That's, I, the Battle of Alberta is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But the, the New York, New York game is unbelievable. Out Even, of anything that I just mentioned? I would say for, for me, it was always the Islanders on both sides of it. I remember Amazing. playing when I was in the Islanders uh, at the Coliseum against the Rangers and I don't even know if we won the game. I had a good game, of course. That's why I remember it. But like <laughs> looking times, back yeah. on it, it was like a 7-5 game. And like every Islanders-Rangers game has like 50-50 fans in there. So when the Rangers fans are flooding the Coliseum or or vice versa, when there's Islanders fans in MSG, it is just like, it's the most electric crowd. And the people in New York are so passionate. I think that for me is like the craziest route. It's a 30-minute train ride, right? That it's old just, Nassau Coliseum oh, it's, too. It's unbelievable. And you know what? Even even to be honest, the the Rangers and Devils have a really good rivalry too. Yeah. I think I remember going and I, like, I remember playing for the Rangers and anytime you score, like the rock would be pretty loud with the Rangers fans. And that's a pretty cool thing. But um, I have to say though, and I'm not just biased, but the the Ducks and Kings was pretty heated this it's year. Get in I think. there, right? Um, the uh, not as much a crypto, but when they when they would come out to um, Anaheim, there was uh, there was some pretty good crowds and a lot of LA fans. Which I think anytime you're on the home team and you hear the road fans, you get a little fired up yeah. and it pisses you off a little bit. And you know those those are the best. I think as as players, you live for those moments and. 
I mean, I remember my first like Saturday night game in Edmonton. I'm like, this is like one of the first times I've ever been on hockey night in Canada. This is like unbelievable and all that stuff. So, I mean, looking back on it, those are, you know, things you look at as a kid and you just pray to be in one of those moments. And to to say I've done a few of those rivalries is, is unreal. So you mentioned Anaheim. Let's get to Anaheim then. I mean, you're out in the West now. I mean, I had the chance to play with a couple of those guys there. Max Jones, Troy Terry, who is what a great kid. Sick, eh? Sick player. Uh, paid his dues in the minors mm-hmm. for a little bit. Isaac Lundestrom. It's just certainly a young, exciting team. Can you tell me about just what's going on in Anaheim here? And uh, especially Zegris, Drysdale, these guys coming up the pipe and, and a little bit of an outlook here for the Duckies. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the way I see it, I think there's a pretty solid forward group. I think that's always evolving. I think you're always trying to add to it. And um, we've got some good players on the back end. And I think uh, pretty sure the Ducks have like the OHL, the WHL, and the Quebec defenseman, defenseman of the year of the from year, every yeah. league coming in. So I think... You know, whether those guys crack the lineup this year or they get some seasoning in San Diego, a spot you know quite well, I think. Uh, <laughs> the best. Shout think, out San Diego. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be a bright future. And um, I think they want to try to be patient with those guys and do it the right way. And um, that's that's really seems to be the model in today's NHL. I think if you look at any team that's won the cup lately, it seems like they kind of bring it almost back to the bottom and you need a couple high draft picks. You need to hit on those picks. Then you need to roll up from there. So um, hopefully I can be a part of that in a leadership role and just continue to, you know, try to be as good of a player as I can be. I think, you know, I think guys, like I said, can look to me for a little bit of um, guidance on things. I know that, um, you know, for example, a guy like Terrace, he's been through so much and now he can be that role model for guys. I think, you know, a guy that paid his dues in the minors, got healthy scratch, been through some ups and downs and then bang back to back years as an all-star. I think, we got a lot of good people and good players that I think can um, really write the ship hopefully sooner rather than later. And um, obviously a great goalie in Gibby. And, um, you know, hopefully we can uh, take that small step this year. I think as players, all you want is just that small steps each year. So obviously last year wasn't great for us. It was really tough. I think, you know, mentally it was just such a grind, I think, just to, you know, lose so many games it really sucks and we're athletes we're competitive and yeah. i think this year we got to raise the bar and just try to keep taking those steps each year and um obviously management and the coach are gonna do everything they can to help us but i think it's on us as players to take that next step and take some accountability in the locker room and try to be better can you give us a little bit on zegris and i don't know his his personality yeah. and just kind of what he's like what, well, what he's like as a teammate a lot of people see you know what they see on social media and stuff i mean he's obviously uh very marketable athlete and very marketable person, but he's a, I think he's a really a misunderstood kid. I think that he's super, super competitive. I think he really cares a lot. I think he's got a lot of drive. Um, I know he loves hockey. I think he is very dedicated and those are the things that I see. I think everyone else sees the, you know, the skill and the, in the, the marketability and the hair and, you know, everything else he does. But I really, I really, what I admire about him is his competitiveness and stuff. And I think that, um, he brings it every day. He's the last guy on the ice of practice every day. Yeah, he's goofing around a little bit, but he's, you know, he's working on his one timer. He's working on this. He's working on that. And I think that I think that love for the game and that love for getting better is what's going to make him a good player and keep pushing him forward. And um, it's going to be awesome to see his, his growth. I think that I think he's only tapped into what he can be. I think that, like I said, everyone sees the the, the NHL moves or the the cover and the, yeah, the, yeah. the Michigan goal and stuff like that. But I getting to play with him, I mean, he's a guy that sees the ice like not many do and he has the ability to make plays and not many do. And I think once he continues to grow in that and build that part of his game out, which, which I know he's going to do because he loves the game. I think it's going to be a 
really special to see firsthand, similar to those other guys I mentioned earlier. Yeah, any funny stories off them up top of your head? I swear, Sammy Carrick told me he like booted Getsy off a tra- training table, or like told Getsy uh, to get off a training table or something. But do you have anything off the top of your head you there's, can remember? There's so many things. Like every day, I could just like look at him. I'm like, I actually can't even believe you're doing this. Like it's crazy. I mean. For me, what stands out, I mean, there's so many things. Like, I'm going to forget something for yeah. sure. But, like, this guy rolls into the ring for a game with his – he's got a yellow Ford Bronco with no hood, no roof on. on it. And he's got the shades on and, like, an iced coffee. I'm like, man, this is – Like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is – like, I'm looking at this and he's walking in just like – and he's, like, a really confident kid. And, I, and, like, I think that's a good thing to have. I think he rides that confident and cocky level pretty tight line. But, yeah. but the way I see it is, like, I don't know, like – He's not perfect, and I'm sure there's things he's going to mature and grow up on, which we all do. But I think that, like I mentioned earlier, one of the things I lost for times in my career was my confidence. And I think that anytime I see a young player overconfident, I don't really think twice about it because I know when I lost my confidence, I was nowhere near the player I can be. So I'd rather a guy that knows he's a good player, knows he can score every night, knows he can beat a guy one-on-one because I think those are the guys that are, are the great players in our league. So you can almost give those kids a little more rope, right? Like yeah, a couple I, strikes to maybe try something, let them do their thing so they're not just thinking, man, I just got to keep it simple and do this and that. Totally. And you know, maybe this isn't the most like team thing to say, but especially in a year where things are going bad, like like I remember my dad called me one day. He's like, you know, you tried to make that pass and whatever I go, I'm like, I agree with you if we're in the playoffs, but we're not in the playoffs and, and we don't get that. We don't get the puck as much as I'm, I was used to in the past few years. So if I don't continue to try to make that play, I'm never going to be able to make that play anymore in my career. So it's such a fine line between like being confident and making those plays or in realizing like where you're at in your team kind of evolution. I mean, we're not a playoff team. We're not, if it's game six in the playoffs, yeah, I'm not going to be trying that pass, but you know, I'd only get that play a couple times a game now. I got to try to, I got to be able to make that play if I want to be a good player. So I know what those guys deal with. And I know kind of their mindset and um, it's about reining them in and finding that, that, that fine line. But uh, all our young guys are great kids and they work extremely hard. And that's what I love about them. They all love hockey. So 30 years old now, right? You've had some time to play in the East and the West. And I, I love this conversation because I spent three years in Edmonton and what an absolute wake-up call for me when I signed in New Jersey and got to camp there and played my first couple games. And then I got into the fold and I'll never remember, John, I'll never forget, sorry, John Hines having this breakout where the D were just wheeling the net and chipping it off the glass, wingers to speed, win the battle up ice. It was just like a track meet, man. And I was used to Edmonton, center low and slow, coming up as a unit, having different options. Maybe the center cuts sometimes, but it was just so go, go, go in the East. And you've played some big minutes down the middle, both conferences. Can you speak to that a little bit, the biggest differences you found between playing in the, in the two conferences? It's a great question. It's, uh, I actually get like people that, people that like know hockey ask me this a lot. And I think it's a great question because I think as soon as Pittsburgh started to really become successful and win a couple of those cups in the like, I think it was like 2017 or whenever it was that they won the back to back there. Like I, like they, they didn't have like the greatest defense core necessarily, but they got the puck, they high flipped it. They got out of the zone as quick as they could. And they just flew up the ice. And I think that every team tried to kind of take that mold a little bit in the East and, the East, I always say, is like it's like it's like a crazy version of pinball, where like the puck is just smacked around, it's up and down so fast, and you get like wild two on ones or breakaways or three on ones. Versus in the West, it's very like when I picture the Western Conference, I picture watching the NHL and like 
like 2003, like just like, like D to D, like the only way to get like a scoring chance, like a three on two or a four on three, like, you know, no one's getting caught pinching, like just, and, and it's true. I still feel like that's the same way. I mean, it maybe is changing a little bit, but the West is definitely, I'd say it's always been notoriously like heavier, more, more like physical. I mean, LA and Anaheim back in the day were yeah. like, they had the biggest teams ever. So you go to the West Coast swing, you just get pounded Even on for two San Jose nights. up there. San Jose. It was Florida Marlowe. Like, dude, everyone was just so big. It was the worst road trip of all time. <laughs> ever. And ever. then you come to the East, and it's just like, you know, Crosby, Malkin flying up the ice. Ovechkin just like flying around. Uh, Carolina's notorious for being just fast and quick and up the ice. And, and I remember with even like when I was at the Rangers, we went to the conference finals, like Gallant, like our game plan against some of these teams were, unless your name's Adam Fox, get the puck out of your zone as quick as you can. Be, ch like chase your, chase your D down. Let's go. Like don't mess around with it in your own end. Don't mess around with it on breakouts. Like do what you got to do to get the puck out of your zone. And um, for whatever reason, that seems to be the motto. And it's, um, it's like a, it's like a stereotype, I guess, in, in our, in our game, but it's kind of been the same for a long time. So how is it playing in Arizona at, at Mullet? Is, well, is it something? It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's quite the experience. I think that I remember going out for my first skate, like morning skate or something or practice. Can't remember what it was. And, uh, I thought I was playing at like the Sleeman Center in Guelph. That's what the, the, the first <laughs> thing I thought of. Name. I'm like, this looks like Guelph or Sarnia or one of those yeah. barns. I'm like, this is this is wild. Give us a little tour as a visiting player coming into Mullet. Do you have to go outside or something? Yeah, or? so you got to, when you go from the dressing room to the ice, you have to cross like a t 15, 10 foot like little area where it's like outdoors. It's covered by like a tent. So you could see the outside. <laughs> but the weirdest thing, like there's a lot of weird things there. It's like you can warm up outside on turf, like right outside the arena. It's like usually beautiful weather too. So guys are sitting out there playing <laughs> yeah, soccer, like just soaking up the sun. But uh, the weirdest thing is that you actually have to walk in and go upstairs to take your, um, to take your like dress clothes off yeah. and you go into like this change room. So once you're up there and you take your clothes off, you can't wear skates up there. So like you can't go back in to get your gitch or anything like that. Oh, and the brutal. coach's room is like right up there too. So like you can hear the coaches and like the guys showering that aren't playing like right below the dress, above the dressing room. Sorry. It's Tough like, setup, hey? it's a, it's a bizarre <laughs> setup. I mean, I had my first Gordie Howe hat trick there. It was my 700th game too. So that was, a, I guess I have a little bit, uh, Memory with Mullet Arena. Game 700, Gordie Howe hat trick? Yeah. Was that the first Gordie of your career? First Gordie <laughs> of my career, yeah. It was an afternoon game. I woke up for breakfast at like 8, 9, whatever. Like almost like puking my brains out, like sick. I don't know what happened. And uh, I went back to bed, like got a nap, figured out, find a way to play, 700th game. Like it's like everyone knows it's my 700th game. Like you don't want to miss it. My wife and my, my, my parents and stuff. And then go out there and got a Gordie Howe hat trick. So with like three games left in the year against Arizona, there wasn't really too much to play for. Actually, I remember, uh, some of the boys, we had a golf trip to Pebble beach at the end of the year planned. And, uh, after I got in the fight, one of the boys like, how's the hand, you're going to be good for Pebble. <laughs> be all so, right to uh, golf. But that's, you know, like we talk about the com competitive spirit and wanting to win. I think once the game starts that those kind of emotions pick up and the guy gave me a couple of shots. So <laughs> that was it. Yeah. It's unreal. Congrats, man. <laughs> And I heard you got a present after the game. Did you, you were mentioning something about the fight strap? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the trainers, the trainers in the NHL are all like the best guys in the best. world. They, uh, they have such big hearts. They work so hard. They, uh, they're the unsung heroes, hundred percent. And can we uh, shout out Brad Harrison real quick? Like, he got mad at us when I didn't have Nursey on here. So Harry, here's your shout out. Airball's the man. Yeah. He's a good okay, man. Continue. But, uh, yeah. So the trainers in Anaheim, I went to the rink the next day and I had my Jersey in my stall. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like they gave me a Jersey. Like, Cause like I always ask for a jersey, I have them all framed in my basement. But I'm like, this is kind of weird. The season's not over yet. Like I don't know why it's here. So I brought it home. I just told my wife, like, can you hang this up for me or whatever? And 
like the next day she's like did you look at the fighting strap and like in the jersey and uh the trainers actually wrote like 700th game uh first Gordie Howe hat trick so like the cool. date and everything like that and you know it's cool to get a puck and stuff like that yeah. like I've got all those moments I've got everything saved for my whole career but uh that was really cool because I don't get many fights like one or two a year max so like it was cool to have that I I told my dad that actually he's like what are you gonna do so I'm debating maybe like cutting it out of the jersey and then framing it like beside the jersey yeah. somehow I don't know how I'm gonna do it but it's uh it was a really nice touch from those trainers and um you know being drafted as a skill guy and everything, I never thought I'd have a fighting strap signed for my 700th game. So, well, you know. good on you, man. I so. had no in my whole NHL career, no Gordies. I, I could always get the fight and the apple. It was always <laughs> the elusive goal that got away from me. It's hard. I feel like <laughs> feel like especially like you know better than anyone. Like once you get a fight, it's hard to play the rest of the game. Oh yeah, it's hard to play the. Well, and I, yeah, yeah. In some ways, I mean. Well, for all, maybe not for you. That. My hands would always hurt <laughs> oh, too much. Yeah. I'd be like, my thumbs killing me, man. I can't hold my stick the rest of the game. Yeah. So. You definitely have a really good outlook on things when you talk hockey. Uh, smart, in, intelligent, uh, know the game, I've played the game. Is maybe like a GM mode or, or somewhere down the line, do you, would you like to work in hockey? Yeah, I mean, I feel like hockey is the thing that I love and I know the best out of anything in the world. So I definitely want to do that in some capacity. I mean... I've had teammates argue with me whether they think I'd be a better coach or GM and they, you know, whatever, just for more goofing yeah, around yeah. with the guys. But um, I don't know. I feel like I've always been a guy that's uh, been well-informed, whether it's been about like contracts or been part of the players union, just to try to learn as much as I can. And um, yeah, I don't know where it's going to take me, to be honest with you. I know that I want to do something. I feel like I, I feel like going through what I've gone through, I want to help players out to be the best they can be. Um, so I don't know which path that's going to be, but at the same time, I really think that being a GM or a coach is a true skill. And I think that, you know, I could sit here today and say, I want to be a GM. And, you know, I do want to be a GM or a coach or something, or at least in those decision-making processes. But I really think that until you're like in those situations, you never know how you're going to be. And I think a lot of times I think, oh, this is guy's an idiot. Like he should be doing that or he should be doing this or whatever. But I feel like there's, until you're sitting in that chair, it's, it's a lot harder than we think. So I think the goal for me after hockey is just going to be try to cozy myself up with someone that I, I really admire, whether it's an agent or a coach or someone, and just try to get some sort of insight on the day-to-day -day things. And Because from there on out, I think the options are endless. But I truly think that I, I'm trying to leave things open-ended because it, it, you don't know what you're going to be good at or what your niche is going to be. So I guess we'll just kind of see where it takes us. we still got another 5-10 before that. Well, I, ho <laughs> I, I hope so. I think, uh, you know, you... Uh, you never want to look too far ahead yeah. for sure. I think as a, especially you get to 30, I mean, if you start thinking about what you want to do after hockey, it's tough. And, and for me having young kids too, I want to try to play as long as I can so they can remember their dad as a, as a hockey player and, yeah. and they can get to come to the rink and stuff like that. So we'll see where it goes, but I mean, I love the game and the game's given me and my family, like a life that we never could have imagined, like in our wildest dreams, being a, you know, family of three boys from Mississauga. But I mean, uh, we'll see where it goes. Well, man, uh, I really appreciate you stopping by. Uh, the story, kind of what you've been through, is so interesting. And, man, looking at that, 700-plus games after all this, getting to come in now as a vet to Anaheim, I wish you nothing but the best. It is going to be so fun to watch Ducks hockey here the next year or two, I feel like, especially with Carlson coming down the pipe. So just want to wish you, uh, wish you luck, wish you the best, and stick with it, man. Like you said, take nothing for granted, That's and right. it's a blessing, man. So thanks for stopping by. Thank you very much.